Excuse me, do you have a moment? I'm looking for musicians. I'm congested. You'll have to speak up. What, like this kid with a trumpet I'm robbing? You can't have it! I heard a musician knows where Land D is. Can you tell me? Want tea? If you want it that badly, here's my leftover cup from last night. I do not know any Land D, though. I can help you. If you come back in six hours and make, it a, make a secret gang sign in a restaurant. So now I have to find a Chinese man with severe back pain and a history of gingivitis. I'll ask at the docks. That's not bad, Jeb. Go back to school. Stop harassing me, or I call the police. Oh, you want a team lunch with me? Sure. Ow. I dropped a giant crate on my foot. I think something broke. You spent a month in the hospital, but at least you got to play a ton, tons of Space Harrier. Unfortunately, you're out of money. You'll never find Landy now. Hey, I spent seven trillion yen on this. Strap on your swords. Ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. Here are the party leaders for this expedition. Phil and welcome to RPG Backtrack number 67. I know Kung Fu. Hey, I can actually say that because I'm purple belt now. Hiya! Phil, Phil, you put way too much energy into that. You need to say it like Keanu Reeves. Keanu who? Oh, Phil. Is that like Mega Man? Is he Mega Man? I know Mega Man. Phil, if Keanu Reeves ever puts as much energy into any performance as Mega Man does, then he will have become a different person. I know Mario. Whoa, it's me, Mario! I know Kung Fu! I know that. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so, we're gonna... We are wild Stallions! That Wild Stallion voice you hear is my good friend, Mr. Mike Minky, and I am your host, Mr. Phil Willis, and tonight... Him and two other people will be talking about a set of games that I have never played before, and I don't think I want to. Maybe they can change my mind, or maybe they will... You said you played a sample of it at Epcot. Yeah, that wasn't really playing. I was kind of watching somebody else. It was like a tech demo. <laughs> so either they'll make me want to play it, or they'll simply reaffirm my decision not to rush out, buy a Dreamcast, and grab these games. We're talking about Shinmu 1 and 2, or Shinmue, or what? How do you pronounce it, Mike? Shinmue. Sh Sh Shamu? Yeah, have you seen that big whale? He's so cute. <laughs> kind of well, ghost in the water. Reminding us that you're from Florida. Don't I you? can't believe that they made a game based on Shamu, though. I mean, he's he's kind of cool to see in the park, but he doesn't look that exciting. I mean, I wouldn't want to play a game with him, but I guess they made one on Echo of the Dolphins, so why not? So, uh, let's see. Yeah, let, let's go back. Hey, Mr. Abs, I forgot. Echo the Dolphin for forgotten 90s mascots. No, no, just no. 
So, to help Mr. Minky out tonight, that is indeed Mr. Michael Apps, who's very excited about tomorrow because there'll be a new iPad 3 out for him to play himself on. Uh, uh, the Sega, uh. And last but not least, the man with the plan, Mr. Scott Wackamater. All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Hmm. Yeah, you're really into the row, the yo roll now. You're thinking that Kansas is a good band. And this is RPG Backtrack. We're going to talk about your favorite RPGs from the days of Atari right up through yesteryear. We're talking about Shimu, and then we're going to talk about some other games we don't know yet. We just kind of make this up as we go along. So hold on for a second. Hold tight. Listen to this little ditty that I picked up from our good friends at YouTube. And we'll be right back with the main event. going to start off our main event tonight. We've got a duo of games. The first one is Shenmue, right? That's how you pronounce it, not Shamu. Shenmue? It's supposed to be Shenmue. Okay, I still think they should call it Shamu. would have sold a lot more copies that way. Put a big picture on the whale, call it Free Willy or something, you've been good to go. This is developed by Sega AM2, published by Sega. This was released here in North America on November the 6th, 2000. On your Dreamcast home system, I am assured that this is an RPG, an open-world RPG adventure game. Uh, and it has a single-player mode, but I heard it also has some online features. I'm sure you guys can elaborate on it. It was rated T for Teen and comes on three glorious CD-ROMs. No, 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 Phil. We're talking about the Dreamcast. They're GD-ROMs. Oh, one GD-ROM. Oh, three GD-ROMs. That's right, three GD-ROMs. What was I thinking? So that's that right there is about the extent uh, well uh, about the extent of what I'm going to contribute aside from the fact to just elaborate just a tiny bit on what Mr. Mickey said earlier. I saw this game in Epcot. My I used to work at Disney uh, from about oh, I don't know 95 up to about 2002 or three. They had this playing in Epcot before it was uh, mainstream. You were able to play a five or six minute demo. I think Shirley played it and I watched or something along those lines. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And uh, I, remember say, I remember Shirley saying, oh, look, the people look so pretty because they were 3D and everything like that. But the gameplay and stuff, there were some quick time events, walking around, talking to people. Really didn't look that interesting. So we did not rush out to see if we could buy our very own Dreamcast and buy the game. But perhaps I had just picked the wrong five minutes of game to play. So maybe you guys can convince me otherwise. Or maybe it'll simply reaffirm, <laughs> reaffirm well, my opinion based on that uh, that sampling. Well, we might as well start with the story. And okay, Shenmue was originally going to be sixteen parts. Yu Suzuki was going to make sixteen <laughs> games of this, and the first game is just the first part in which Ryo. Yo Hazuki goes goes home one day. The day is actually November 29th, 1986. 
and he witnesses his father being interrogated and murdered by a man named Landi. Landi is able to use Ryo as a hostage in order to get his father to reveal where a certain mirror is, and he takes it and then kills the guy. And so Ryo is, determines that he has to take vengeance for this, even though he received a sound thrashing from Landi. So how he is going to do that, we will never really know. And now he has to find Landi, and that's where the game begins. Yes, this is the entirety of the first game. Ryo learning that Landi is somewhere, and he's going to go there. That's really the summing up of the first game. <laughs> and it but you forgot like... about the most important element of uh, Shemu 1. Want to play a uh, game of Lucky Hit? <laughs> now the Lucky Hit is actually, I don't remember any the first one. Instead, yeah, let's let's go. Let's skip ahead to the third disc where you get to work on the docks driving a forklift. Yay! Yes, and as we all know, when you operate forklifts, you get to work early so that you can race them around the docks for the first two hours of your job. Then you work two hours. Then you take a two-hour lunch. You work another three hours, and your day is done. No wonder the Japanese economy is in so much trouble. <laughs> Except this is set in the 80s, which means that they were somehow able to do did, so well. Did you say while racing? While driving their forklifts all over, the, all over the docks every morning. Did you say racing forklifts? I did. It, that, that sounds about as much fun as racing turtles. What, what the yeah, heck? Aren't, aren't forklifts, like, really, really slow? Yeah, I drove a forklift <laughs> for a warehouse. It had a maximum speed of about two and a half feet an hour. Oh, now, now, Mike, I know this game is all about, you know, recreating real life, so would you say the forklifts in this game are a accurate depiction of real forklifts? No, because they're, they're the Charaznable custom uh, forklifts, so they go about six feet an hour. <laughs> oh! Oh, wow. Well, Spiffy. Do oh, they... I can tell you, they, they turn and go backwards in real time, <gasps> so that every time you get that forklift into a corner, you're going to be... <laughs> fiddling around and spinning it every which way in the hopes that it will finally, finally be in a position that you can go straight again. I speak from experience. Amazing. I know. To think that all the technology and resources Sega had available went to creating this wonderful diversion. Forklift racing. No, see, the the most brilliant thing that this game uh, created was weather. Yes, Shenmue (laughs) invented weather. (laughs) So that's where it came from. Yes, prior to Shenmue, there was yeah. no weather. Hey, everybody, can you remember the weather before 1999? You can't! That's because it was created by this game. Um, but, but the forklift racing, that doesn't take place until the third disc. So, so, so when you raced around these forklifts, I mean, again, just being a forklift driver, one of the cool things was that if you were carrying something... Uh, you know, heavy or whatever, you turn too fast, it could actually, you know, be in danger of tipping over. Did you get that? No. Dang. <laughs> actually, I discovered that forklifts uh, have absolutely no effect upon animal life. Birds and cats will not look up or even react when a forklift almost crashes into them. Oh. And the forklift will magically stop when it comes into contact with people or animals. I never knew that. Maybe this doesn't make me a good candidate for working in a construction yard. Hmm. And they were really cool when they ran over your foot, because they weigh, like, 
I don't know, like two tons or something. I mean, it's incredible. You'd have steel toe shoes. It didn't help you. In fact, you just put your foot inside of a crushed tuna can. That's all it did. Yeah. Hmm. But we're skipping ahead of ourselves to get to the forklift racing because yeah. the first part of the game is Ryo finding out who Lon D is. And he does that. Mr. Apps, you probably remember this part, don't you? This is the beginning of the game. What were you doing? Sleeping? Oh, you mean what was I doing in the game? Sleeping. I... Um... No, although, Phil, you do have to go home every night in order to sleep in the game. Nice. Do I have to stop and tinkle? Because, I mean, that happens in real life. Got to tinkle. There is a toilet, but you are never seen using it. Aw. I mean, I even get to use a toilet in Sims. Why can't I use it in Shenmue? I don't know. Maybe that part of that thrilling bit of realism wasn't deemed necessary. What about when I'm in the bathroom with a magazine? No, I'm just, okay, moving on. <laughs> okay, Mr. Apps, the beginning yes. of the game. I What I remember about the beginning of the game is I wandered aimlessly about the city and opened a lot of drawers and wondered when I'd get to have, have like some fights since I was promised fighting. You just have to be very patient. Uh, this this game asks an unreasonable amount of patience. Uh, most likely, yes. Although, given the responses <laughs> when I reviewed this on our forums, certain people do have unholy amounts of patience. Hmm. But what are you doing for the first part of the game? You are going around asking people. Did you see this? Did you see a man in a black car go by that day? No. Did you see a man in a black car go by that day? No. Did you see a man in a black car go by that day? You did! But you don't know who he was. Oh, he was a Chinese man. Do you know where any Chinese people are? No. Do you know where any Chinese people are? No. Do you know where any Chinese people are? You do? Oh, they're sailors. Hey, I, I'm looking for a place where sailors hang out. Can you help me? Can you tell me where sailors hang out? That is how you proceed through the first part of the game. You ask the same question over and over until you find someone who knows the answer. It's maddening. And eventually Ryo learns that he's got to go to Hong Kong and he buys a boat ticket and it's a, from a fraudulent place and he has to chase the owner through the streets in order to get his money back. Actually, he doesn't, but he does get the owner. And that's where you really start to learn about the quick time events. This is the game that invented QuickTime events. So this no, is who we so have this, to blame. yeah, I'm about to say. So <laughs> I, I can blame. I, yeah. <laughs> you, this, this is the game you blame. Get out for that terrible period about four years, three, four years ago, when everything had QuickTime events in it. I should have known Sega was behind it. Sega <laughs> is behind everything. Yes. Wow. Now we know. Yes, the QuickTime events. Um, they look good when they play out in straight motion. However, when you make a mistake and you get to start the whole thing over, and then you make a different mistake and you start it all over, you start to wonder, why? Why do I have to do this until it finally goes right? Well, to be fair, the very first QuickTime events, wouldn't that be like the Dragon Layers game back in the day? Where they kind of, you know, you'd watch a cartoon and they say, quickly, press right on your joystick and you had to get out of the way or you died. Shh, quiet. We want to blame this. Okay, Sega. Sega. Bad Sega. Where's my pitchfork? Well, if Phil wants to blame Don Bluth, I guess he can. 
That's his privilege. No yeah, one so remembers you... laser discs. That's this so is. Would you, I am. The... Would you rather blame Don Bluth or would you rather blame Sega? Oh, you got a point there, Sega. Man, how could you do this to us? I'm so sick and tired of quick time events. Damn you! Uh, and let me think. When did we finally start with the fighting in the game? Um, did it happen on disc one? It may have. I'm struggling to remember. I think there was one early on where you were like in your dojo and it was sort of like a practice battle. Oh yeah, you can practice with the guy who rooms in the dojo and is apparently like your brother. Yeah. But for real fights, um okay, I'll give it I'll say this. Shenmue fights are different from your standard fighting game type engine because you're usually fighting more than one guy. It, it it's actually identical to a fighting game engine. The Virtua Fighter engine. Right. <laughs> Funny enough, since Yu Suzuki developed both. Yeah, it's a, it's surprising how much he, uh, he, he of his own influence he, he keeps including in later <laughs> games. Wait, wait. But, Not lately, but though. This game had an immense budget and they couldn't come up with a new fighting system? Again, the new, the new element is that you're fighting more than one guy at once. Oh, I see. I suppose that would take millions of dollars. Yes. Clearly, we see where it went. And Actually, inventing the, weather. That was most <laughs> oh, yes, the weather. Oh, yes. Excuse me, I forgot about the weather. I, I bet at least 35 of the millions went into the, the, just the weather. Yeah, we should mention, in case I didn't mention it before, that reputedly the budget for the entire Shenmue project was $70 million, which even now is not it's something insane. you see in video game budgets. <laughs> Just think of the company that tried to say to the stockholders, we spent $70 million on this. I'm not quite sure, like, even, like, Mass Effect 3 has that kind of budget. Right. For, it to, for this thing to have broken even, Sega would have needed to sell a copy of Shenmue to not only everyone who owned a Dreamcast, but everyone who eventually owned an Xbox and probably a lot of other people who needed to buy the system <laughs> just for this game. Well, the Xbox only got Shenmue 2. True. So you got the you got the you see this is how I experienced Shenmue one the first time, which was well, you bought the Xbox version and it gave you Shenmue the movie where it just took all the annoying stuff out of Shenmue and just showed you what actually happened. It took about oh. twenty minutes. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. so what you? So and that was telling? still full of filler because this story <laughs> of the first part could have been told in five minutes. So, so are you telling me this three? Uh, what were what are the Dreamcast discs called again? Free GD-ROM disc game could be boiled down to a twenty-minute movie or less, since apparently the movie had filler. Yeah, the movie did include um, at least some footage of the mini games. Wow, wow. Uh, oh. I should mention that apparently someone in Japan was so wild about this that a. A bunch of cutscenes from the game were put together into a 90-minute movie that was put into theaters. <laughs> I'm not talking about a, dra a dramatized version. I'm talking about the actual game footage. <laughs> oh, it was a different time. Uh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> um. Okay, I will say this. For the time it was released, the 
animations and attention to detail is pretty impressive. Like that, like every visual element of the game was hella impressive. Oh, absolutely. Like the fact that it was fully voiced was like complete madness for 1999. <laughs> yeah. And I understand that pretty much everyone, every character in the game was realized using motion capture, which just adds the expense. Especially in 1999 when motion capture was yeah. new. <laughs> yeah, it was the next step up from digitizing actors in Mortal Kombat. Um, okay. There are some memorable parts of this game. I One of the most memorable comes near the end of the third disc when Ryo... Teams up with a guy. Uh, what's his name? What's his name here? He's Chen Guizhang, and I'm butchering that name because I can't pronounce Chinese names. I'm sorry. Those two go up against about seventy total guys in a dockyard fight at night, and most of those guys go down with one or two hits. But several mini bosses show up in the middle of it, and by the time you get through with it, because you're probably going to need to try it a couple times in order to get through the strong guys, you're going to remember it, and in a good way for the most part. Also, the final boss, named Chai, I think somebody had a thing for Gollum when he was being designed, because he f- talks like that, and he acts kind of like Gollum. He bends over all the time and hisses a lot. Landisama wants me to help. I will get over there. You will never see Landisama. That's seriously how he talks. Wow. If you... Considering this came out before the Lord of the Rings movies, that took some dedication. If you are one of our listeners who listen to the RPG Backtrack just to hear Mike do those types of impressions, please write us at the on the boards at rpgamer.com. <laughs> we want to hear from you. You must say only good things about my precious. I think we're done now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mr. Apps, do you remember? Yes. One of the odd things of the localization where all of the Japanese honorifics were kept in the dialogue? Also madness I, for 1999. Yes, I do. And at that point, I had no idea what any of them meant. And I don't remember any explanation. There isn't any. Yes. You're just, you're just in a Japanese city in 1986, and that's how people talk. Never mind that we've dubbed it into English. They're still talking that way. Oh, oh th- there is another memorable bit when, uh, let's see, Nozomi is the girl who has clearly has a thing for Ryo, but he never reciprocates throughout the game. And eventually she is supposed to go visit her family in Vancouver. She talks about going to Canada, and apparently she does eventually. But she gets kidnapped by a gang down at the docks called the, the Mad Angels. And you'll remember that name because Ryo will ask everybody on his lunch break, can you tell me about the Mad Angels? <laughs> What can you tell me about the Mad Angels? And in order to get her back, he needs to do a motorcycle ride at night. And I remember this because the timing is very precise. You've got two minutes, and you are going to have to put the pedal to the metal, and I hope you've been practicing your hang-on in the arcades because you have almost no margin for error here. You just get to start it over again if you fail, but I had to play that stupid motorcycle race a good ten times or so before I finished it. So that was at least memorable. So, here's my question. Why couldn't they condense the game <laughs> down to one disc with all the memorable moments and maybe just a few cutscenes to show him walking around, talking, asking people the same question over and over again, instead of, you know, 
going to a job, driving a for- forklift. He tried you know? to kill me with a forklift. <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand why they need to simulate real life, including all its most boring moments. Well, he never eats, but yes. Did you get into the tedium of having to go home every night in order to sleep? Uh, oh, Sega. Okay. <laughs> okay we, apparently, a lot of one of the things people enjoy about this game is all the sundry things you can do to pass the time. I didn't do a whole lot of playing Space Harry in the arcade, but it's there. So if you want to relive some of Sega's '80s arcade hits, you can do that. But you know, we know it would be more fun than doing that—just playing Space Harrier. <laughs> you know, outside of Shenmue. You could also play darts. <laughs> yes. And hang on. Yes. Using the money Ryo has in the game, first he gets it as an allowance every day, and then he gets it from his job. You oh, get and, more and money if you collect gachapons. Gachapons. Yes. You get to patronize vending machines. <laughs> Not just for gachapons, but for soda. And then you drink the soda. It's Coca-Cola because they needed some way to make back $70 million. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to see Ryo take the can out, drink it, go, ah, that's good. And then put it into the recycle bin. Really conscious for 1986. Can you throw it in the garbage? Can you make him throw it in the garbage? No, this is all automated. You buy the soda, he drinks it, he says, that's good, and puts it in the recycle bin. Then you go back to doing things. So does drinking the soda, like, I don't know, (laughs) increase your health or something? No, no, this is an Abe's Exodus. Or what, what would... No, Munch's Odyssey was the one that had the deal with Sobeys where the, all the health pickups were. <laughs> where her, where her product all, all it does here is pass time. Oh. Uh, just like uh, on the first day, there's a little girl in Rio's neighborhood who finds a kitten and you need to help feed it. You don't have to, but I got to say, I, wi- I was willing to bring food for the kitten every day so that it didn't die in the game. Because that would have been terrible of me. <laughs> so I guess if the game made me care about not killing a kitten, then that was good. Oh. So, let's see here. Oh, yes. Mr. Apps, remember the dub. I try not to. I will ask you to remember it just this once, and then you can forever purge it. Okay, okay. So. Oh, God. The memories. Yeah, did you get this feeling that the English voice cast was a lot smaller than the Japanese one? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder how many people the voice cast actually was. Do you happen to know? Not offhand. I know I should have been paying attention during the credits, but I somehow wasn't, which would have been the best place to find out. (laughs) I'm surprised you even made it to the credits. I reviewed the thing. 
I'm dedicated to our standards. Impressive. Impressive. Yeah. Plus, I had a fact open whenever I got to the point where I wanted to speed things along, which was often. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and the moves. Yeah. Um, whenever you find an empty lot, something like that, Ryo can choose to practice his moves. And if you do it enough, they get power powerful. But honestly, I didn't find that it was really necessary. <sighs> what else did you pick up from the Shenmue video on on the Xbox, Scott? Not a lot. Enough to know that, that the game, the first game, was way too long. Apparently. <laughs> oh, there, there's this cool guy. Uh, cool being a subjective phrase, but he's a gaijin. I think he's supposed to be American, and that means in the dub, he t- he says things like, which means he's almost vaguely Jamaican, but I don't get it. He's just this weird, wacky guy who happens to be black, and of course, since this is a game set in Japan, that means he's goofy. <laughs> Does he have a fro? No, he has dreadlocks. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. The, and, second, the second stereotype. And kind of creepy glasses. Hmm. Here, let me, let me show you a picture of him so that you can know Tom, the, the wacky gaijin. Oh. <laughs> what the heck? Oh, oh my yeah, God. that guy. <laughs> let me think. Was there any arm wrestling in the first game? I can't remember any right now. I don't think so. I think your mini games were just darts and forklift. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see here. I learned that the bus goes every half an hour in Japan. That was very useful knowledge. Oops. Except if you get there right after the last one left, because then you have to wait around. And honestly, some of the since you're going to be wandering around talking to people so much, it's kind of interesting seeing what their daily routines involve. understand I'm using interesting in a fairly broad sense here. But the, the point of the first Shenmue, I think, could have been done as five minutes, the introduction to an action movie. Instead, it's expanded to, what did I take, 30 hours or so to finish this thing? My God. <laughs> yeah, you know, 30 hours doesn't sound, you know, all that long. But considering what you're doing, or should I say what you're not doing in this game, it seems like a lot longer. I mean, obviously, I never I never slugged through the game long enough to finish it. And, and I'm amazed that many people did enough to actually want a sequel. Well... Yeah, what it does, the good things it does, have more or less been replicated in other games by now, and considerably better. Oh, oh, I need to, you should see the picture of the guy who is Ryo's boss on the forklift job. He's on the left. <laughs> yes, he's the guy who tells Ryo on the first day... You need to come in early. 
And why do you need to come in early? Because that's when we race our forklifts. Oh. Also, I should say that the forklift job apparently just involves picking up crates and moving them to different warehouses around the docks. This is how commerce functions. It's true. (laughs) And if you pick up enough crates, then you get a bonus for the day. They pay you if you meet quota. Oh. And unless you manage to get the forklift stuck in a corner, you'll you'll meet quota pretty easily. You know, I'm pretty sure I'd actually rather actually drive a forklift than play this game <laughs> at this point. Well, yeah, if you actually play a drive a forklift, then you might run over someone. That, yeah, that's, and that, that, that's that, could, that could be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and meanwhile, you get to sing that that the song from um, Star Wolf over and over all day. <laughs> This is the song written for the train chase. This is the chase, Rocky and Ken. He tried, he tried to kill, to me, kill with me with a forklift. Ole! <laughs> oh, no, oh my. Yep. I think we're running dry on the first game. I'm sorry, people. It was more memorable to me than um, the lawn mowing I've done <laughs> whatever that's worth hey I had to mow a lot of lawns to pay for my Saturn so I guess you know you could play a lot of this game to pay for something I don't yeah, know I got and... <laughs> yeah oh, once you do get interesting all right, things I, I have discovered something oh. I have discovered something through my oh. research the game only cost $47 million to develop. Oh, right, Scott. This is the first game. The project as a whole cost $70 million because so many re- assets were able to be reused for the next game. Ah. So, yeah, only $47 million. Did they reuse the uh, forklift racing? No, no. no in, in the second game, you got um, a wide variety of gambling options and Ooh. arm wrestling. Oh. And more quick time events. And don't forget, Scott, the team lifting. Team lifting. Team what? Lifting. Yes. What? You wanna... Okay. Well, let's actually let's, do this. Let's, let's transition. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Transition. So okay. silence for so... music. Go. <laughs> That's probably enough. Phil's going to be proud of us. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he has to All be. All right. Okay. So... So Shenmue 2. Shenmue 2 was released on Dreamcast on September 6, 2001 in Japan, and then in PAL regions on November 24th, and then on the Xbox, which is the only way it reached North America, in 2002, a full year later. So you're saying we almost avoided this game? Yes. Almost? Oh. Well, Mike, you have to remember so many things we've gotten that just didn't need to come here. Like, I don't know, if Glenn was here, I'm sure he would say something involving that series he despises. Oh, Valhalla Nights. <laughs> you know, if we had to pick, would you rather we got Shenmue or Valhalla Nights? Um, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> and I'm really being honest here. I'd actually rather have Valhalla Nights. Ow. Well, since I haven't played them, I can't speak accurately. Just Oh, they're note. terrible. <laughs> Make no bones about it. They are terrible. All right. So Shenmue 2, 
you finally figure out where Landi is and go to Hong Kong to find him. So you you spend the whole first game figuring out where he is. Yeah, and, and then once you figure out where he is, you have to earn the money to go there. And then you spend the entire second game figuring out where he is in Hong Kong. <laughs> and then the game ends with a thrilling battle against him? No. <laughs> no? Oh. Okay, here's a bit of background. Originally, there was part two of the 16-part Shenmue saga was going to be on the boat going from Japan to Hong Kong. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> this was skipped. So now you just get off the boat in Hong Kong and you don't have to do anything on it. Yes, you have you have one army duffel bag, which is apparently full of gachapon toys. Which you which need you immediately to immediately pawn so you don't have to do any any uh mini games to pay for your hotel. God damn it, why didn't I know that? Why didn't I look further ahead in the fact? Because then your bag gets stolen, and if you don't have any money, then screw you! You get to go work some more! Yes. <laughs> so you immediately sell off all your gachapon. Even if you know you can get more money for having for collecting a full set, you just sell them. You don't care. <laughs> oh, and by the way... The, Shenmue 2 is comprised of what would have been parts 3, 4, and 5 of the entire saga. Oh. Part 3 is in Hong Kong. Part 4 is when you get to the Forbidden City Kowloon. And part 5 is when you go off to, what's its face, a town somewhere deep in Guilin? China. Yeah, Guilin. There, Guilin, there we go. So what you're saying is by the second game, they realized that 16 parts was a little bit crazy. <laughs> Just well, oh, based okay. on the okay on the Dreamcast, the Hong Kong portion takes up the first two GD ROMs. Oh, and I think Scott remembers just how many memorable parts there are in Hong Kong, don't All you, right. Scott? So, the, you 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 first you have to figure out where you're going to stay for the night, which involves you getting in a fight in a tea house, chasing down a small child, um, meeting, well, that sounds kind of fun. meeting a hot chick with a motorcycle. Who that doesn't want to help you? Yes, and Joy, then, for some reason, really likes you. I guess she just is taken with that bomber jacket Rio wears. Yep. And then you, the, the, your first big break is that there's some guy who lives, who hangs out at the Man Mo something in one district of Hong Kong. This one district of Hong Kong, everything is the Man Mo something. <laughs> <laughs> So you have to go to all of the stores and ask if they know this guy. And eventually you make your way to the back of the district just in time for the Manmo Temple to be closed. <laughs> forcing you to walk all the way back to your hotel. Remembering that you walk very slowly. <laughs> Especially if you get lost easy because there's no in-game map. But you can what? ask anyone on the street to lead you there. Oh, and oh, they Scott. walk even more slowly than you. <laughs> yes, that is a new feature in Shenmue 2. If you want to be guided somewhere, Ryo can ask people to take him there, and they will. And you get to thrillingly watch as this happens, as you automatically walk behind the person. In real time. It's an excellent excuse to go see a sandwich. <laughs> 
<laughs> just, just to see one. <laughs> Not eat it. But yes, eventually you find this temple guy. And he leads you to... Um, that he's associated with a gang called the Heavens. And at some point you fight an old dude who doesn't know what jujitsu is, but he teaches you some cool Wing Chun moves, so it's all right. <laughs> and eventually you meet up with the master of the Manmo Temple, who happens to be a good-looking woman named Chu Yang. Yeah. And Ryo attempts to fight with her a couple of times, and she effortlessly dodges everything he throws at her because he's clouded by vengeance. And... She's for some reason concerned about him because she sees what happened to her older brother happening again. But once you meet Shu Yang, she lets you stay with her for the night, but only if you go to the temple in the morning and take the piles of books out to the yard for airing. What? Yes. What? Yes. Yes. Are you not thrilled, Mr. Abs? Well, have you not uh, always wanted to take piles of books out into the yard and have quick time events with every one so that they don't fall down? Uh, uh, I mean, it sounds like it might be more interesting than wandering around town asking the same question over and over again. But, well, I'm but not, you get to do that not too. Not too sure. Oh, oh. Afternoon, oh. you have to go pick up the trail again. You're looking for uh, what's his name? Some guy. Some guy who is the entire reason you go to Kowloon, and. Uh, y- Yuan de Zhu. Yuan de Zhu, there we go. Yeah. Yes. And you won't warned your father through. about that he was going to be murdered for this super ancient mirror thing that might be magic. Oh. Oh, magic. See, now that sounds interesting. No. Oh. No. no don't get your hopes up. We'll cover that part, though. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. So there are a couple. Not bad quick time events. There's one that took me a lot of tries to get right, but it's memorable because at the end, Xu Yang steps in to help you against some guys who were standing in the back of the alleyway waiting to bash your brains in. And this is after you have, uh, what was it? You smack a watermelon back at a guy using quick time events. You take down about 15 different guys in this quick time event. Yeah, that, that's the other thing about it too, is the, the action got pushed more towards... Um quick time events rather than the Virtua Fighter stuff because yeah, there, there aren't many actual fights <laughs> in Hong Kong so wait 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 there aren't many fights in Hong Kong but that takes up two discs yes yes it's mostly because Hong Kong is huge it is big and again it, it's the same level of detail as the first game which is very impressive yeah but there's a point near the end of the second disc when you have to go off to Kowloon when you need to make some money. You can do that by arm wrestling. You can do that by gambling. You can do that with Lucky Hit. Here we go, Scott. Time to describe Lucky, Lucky hit. hit. Lucky Hit. It's like Pachinko, but ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, here's the deal. At night, you can go up to some Lucky Hit operators in Hong Kong, and they'll ask you to watch the style for a while, which means that you get to... Call out to people on the street. Hey, would you like to play a game of Lucky Hit? And they'll come over eventually, ask to play, and then you get to thrillingly watch them put a ball in the Lucky Hit, see what slot it goes into, and then you get to do it too until (sighs) one of you wins. And if you lose too much, you don't get any money for it. Oh. Well, because the story... But if you do get money, you can play Outrun. (laughs) 
Outrun. I yes. remember Outrun. Hey, Outrun. that is an awesome game. I played <laughs> so much Outrun. <laughs> Outrun was cool, man. I like racing my little cars. But if you don't want to do that, if you get tired of watching the ball fall down the lucky hit, you can go team lift with a yes. partner who will say, Lift, 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 right, right, lift, lift, right, lift, 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 right, 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 right. Like and if sense. you don't get the quick time event right, you drop it, waste some time, and he scolds you. Hey, you're supposed to press the directions I say. It's like that episode of Friends where they're moving the couch up the stairs, except worse. <sighs> so yes, Mike. <laughs> team lifting. And you get paid per crate you move. Because that's how day labor works. <laughs> Yes, you work for an hour, and if you manage to get your hands onto the sixth crate, you'll earn 60 Hong Kong dollars. This is exactly how day labor works. <laughs> it is. And then you waste a couple more hours as you find somebody to take you on again, and then you work again, so that you might get a total of four hours work out of the entire day. And then go back to your hotel. <laughs> and do it again until you have enough money. This game does not have weather. <laughs> There was a brief period in 2002 where weather stopped happening. Oh, oh, I forgot to mention, actually, it begins on February 23rd, 1987. And I remember that day. That was my dad's birthday, and he was taking me to preschool, and his van broke down in the middle of rush hour traffic so that he had to get out and push it. I think I heard some words that I hadn't known before that day. I just remember that day because it's the day this game starts on. So oh, I was sorry. being put... Your story sounds story. more interesting than, than this game. Yeah, and then my mom had to come and take me to preschool instead, which maybe made her late for work that day. I don't know. She never told me. So that, that was a great story, and I had, to, I had to let it out. Okay. Okay, and then once you have earned those $500, you get to go with Ren, who you meet near the end of the second disc and who is actually kind of cool because he's an operator and – accompanies Ryo a lot of the time, which means that someone interesting is doing things instead of Ryo, who is just kind of dull. Sorry, Ryo, but you're kind of dull. Yeah. And you go into Kowloon. And things do happen in Kowloon. But, okay. First, there's a quick time event when you are handcuffed to Ren getting out of the building. That's pretty cool. Especially when you need to take a leap of faith and jump off the building. And later... You and Ren are infiltrating the headquarters of the evil guys, whatever the name of the gang is. I didn't write it down, so I'm sorry. The Yellowheads. The Yellowheads, there we go. When you're infiltrating that building, you get into a lot of fights, or you use stealth to knock out people ahead of time, using quick time events, of course. And later you're being pursued by a very strange woman wielding a chainsaw. There's a lot of pretty good stuff in that. But in order to get there, you have to earn more money! Because you See, need to earn 500 bucks to enter yourself into a tournament. See, the, the, like, a lot of people seem to think Shenmue is this really bad martial arts epic, when in fact it's an excellent itinerant day laborer simulator. I'm not quite sure there's really a market for day labor simulators. <laughs> You'd think of that, but... This is apparently a much beloved franchise that needs that uh, needs and deserves a sequel and proper conclusion. 
We yes. need to get those last five parts out, man. Last 11. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, let's no, put all press. 11 remaining parts into one game, and then we might have something. Yep. I should mention the tournament. The first three people you fight are each different. There's one guy who's a wrestler. You just need to grab him once in 30 seconds, which is not as easy as it sounds. There's one guy who has a blind side, and you need to constantly spin around in order to hit him from the blind side, or he'll just block you. And there's a third guy I... Oh, that guy, yes. Uh, who's just really quick, so you need to... All you need to do is hit him once, but it's harder than it sounds. And then once you've beaten those three, you need to save up for the 500, and then you'll take on three, three other guys, and you'll need the proceeds from the first two in order to make it to the next ones. And the final fight actually takes place on a gigantic build platform in a decrepit, decaying building where if you fall, then you die because, well, it's a good nine stories up and there's nothing below you. So those fights are actually pretty good, but getting to them requires that you earn some money, probably with team lifting. Uh... Uh, Yeah. And then the final boss is actually a worthy one. I had to don you. I had to try a couple times in order to finally beat, and I did it by being a cheap bastard because the game allows me to use cheap fighting game tactics. You know, dash into his blind spot for a second, hit him, dash away again before he can hit you back. But then there's a quick time event, a series of them, which requires that you be on your game, or else you have to fight him again. And all the while, Lon D is hanging from a rope helicopter ladder, looking on. <laughs> and when you finally beat this Tubble Lard and send him sailing off into... I think he fell off the building, but I can't remember right now. Then Lon D just flies away, and he never says anything at all in the entirety of Shibu 2. <laughs> yep. Quite the villain build-up, huh? Oh, yeah. And then you find out that you have to go to a really remote village which has some cool caves yep. to do more stuff. <laughs> oh. By the way, he, his, his boss fight is the end of Disc 3 on the Dreamcast. Disc 4 is entirely set in... Uh, Scott, what was the name of that place again? Uh, Guilin. Guilin. And it's not even set in Guilin. You're walking with Shenhua, the girl who is on the cover of both games, so she must be pretty important in whatever Yu Suzuki had planned. You're walking with her through lots of pretty nature scenes, and you're talking with her, and you're having a couple of fun chases through the woods with quick time events. There are no fights at all on the fourth disc, and after you get out of the place that you initially arrive at in backwoods China, she is the only person you see. And... The game may be subtitled on Dreamcast because it's a PAL release and that was far cheaper than to try and dub it into every language in the PAL region. But uh, Shenhua is not the most expressive character, at least not with her voice. She's kind of dull. And what did it take? It took four or five hours for me to get through all the conversations with her where we talk about stuff, where we walk down the forest trails and we walk down some more forest trails and eventually we get to the point where we enter a cave Ryo puts his mirror that he's been carrying since the first game into In his pocket <laughs> the pocket of his jacket the whole time through dozens of kung fu fights 
It's fine. It's a magic pocket. It's a magic mirror. <laughs> the mirror goes in. Something is set up. A doorway to something opens. And that's the end. And then they roll the credits. Something magic happens? Yes. And we don't yeah. know what it is. Oh. <laughs> so, after how many Dreamcast discs, finally seven. something interesting happens? After seven Dreamcast discs, <laughs> something interesting happens. Yes. Is that is that is that about the sum of it? <laughs> yes. Oh. Yep. That and is... if that happened 11 years ago. That is the worst use of $70 million I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I can think of worse ones. Pearl that, is one of the, uh, that is one of the worst uses of $70 million I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, Pearl Harbor actually cost more, so... Uh, uh. Well, we, well, no one will ever know how much movies cost anymore, so let's not bring that up. <laughs> I think I'm on safe ground when I say that any Michael Bay movie costs way, way too much. Probably. Yeah, that's about, that's about accurate. But, you know, those explosions are expensive. What are you going to do? Uh, film them correctly of- so that people can see what's happening. <laughs> um, okay. Yes, there's a new feature in Shenmue 2. If, if it's not time to do something... You can choose to wait for the thing to happen. Yep. You can just so, sit and wait. So it, you wait and it, it'll fast forward to the correct time? Yep. Yes. Like, like you don't actually have to wait that amount of time? That's right. Why the heck didn't they put that in from from the start? Well, they couldn't quite fit that into the $70 million budget. Uh, I understand. Oh, and... You can buy maps of each region in Hong Kong. Which each saves region? you the trouble of asking people. Each part of the city. You remember when you, when you change over to a different part of the city, each part has a different map, which you buy from a little kiosk near the entrance. Yep. Hmm. And Kowloon is apparently made up of a whole bunch of decrepit, decaying buildings with gigantic holes in their floors. And I remember another memorable QTE event where you have to climb over a succession of eight boards that cover gigantic gaps in the floor. And if you fail on any of them, especially the last one, which has six button presses where the first one only had two, you get to start all of them over again. See, I remember that. And I'm trying to figure out if Shenmue City actually explained anything that was supposed to happen in the plot. I don't think so. Oh, and we should mention that Shenmue, the game title, apparently comes from a tree that is next to Shenhua's house. Yes. It's a nice tree. It apparently has some spiritual strength. (laughs) It's a really important tree. Or it would be if there were any more games in the series. (laughs) And as far as I can tell, Shenmue City is a really lame Mafia Wars ripoff for Japanese smartphones. <laughs> Sounds about right. And there's also, uh, there was a Shenmue Online that was planned and got canceled. Yep. I can't imagine why. <laughs> so, you know, if you ever wonder why Sega, you know, bowed out of the console market so spectacularly I would just point to this game yeah remember how 
when the Dreamcast was released over here, it had the most successful release of any console to that point. Yeah, and yeah. it had a great launch lineup too. Yeah, Sega was making a concerted effort to avoid the mistakes of the Saturn. So what happened? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I will say this though: for all for all the people who really want more Shenmue, I'm just gonna tell you everything Shenmue did. Yakuza does better. Just play some Yakuza. Yeah, really. Is that coming from Sam, or have you played your Yakuza too? I well, I have played the mini games in every Yakuza game because Sam makes me play the mini games. But I've actually started. <laughs> I, I I am kind of messing around with Yakuza too. Ah. And coincidentally, Yakuza is also from Sega. But not Yu Suzuki. No, Yu Suzuki. This might has be been... a correlation. It might be causation. We, we don't have enough information on the backroom dealings of corporate Japan to make a summation. <laughs> we can only say that Yu Suzuki, especially in the most recent years, has apparently been granted the title really spectacular guy who doesn't do anything for the company but sit at a desk. And appear in Mega64 videos. <laughs> well, good for him. <laughs> No, Mega sixty four did a how Shenmue should have ended thing, and Yu Suzuki was involved. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I remember that. Uh, Wasn't it just like a video of him talking with subtitles? Yeah, or something like that. Okay. Well, yeah. I, you boil down all the memorable stuff from both Shenmue games, and you probably got one, maybe two, GD ROMs worth of solid stuff. Showing that perhaps releasing your story in a planned 16 parts was not the best idea. Which could be watched on YouTube without all the pain of actually playing through the games themselves. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds... I don't think we've convinced you that you're going to need to buy a Dreamcast right now, have we, Phil? No, no I'm kind of glad I put off that purchase. I might put it off for another decade or two. <laughs> I, I think if you're interested in some game relatively like this, you should just play Yakuza. Yakuza is a good, you know, pretty good series. I haven't sat down and played it myself, but I do have all the all of the games. It's on my backlog, <laughs> just because I've read so many good things about them. I wonder how the budget for the Yakuza games compares. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, well, they they're they're paying real actors, so. Ooh, yeah. Well, let's, uh... Yeah, the the version of Shenmue 2 I played, because it was the PAL version on Dreamcast, was subtitled. What can you tell us about the Xbox voice acting, Scott? Okay, so the Xbox voice acting was god-awful. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, about that bad. Perhaps worse. <laughs> now, I remember there was this one kid who you had to chase around the city to get a picture back. Yeah, that was it. He stole your picture of someone that you were looking for. And that kid sounded uh, like... Imagine every annoying kid voice actor ever and multiply that by, like, seven. That was that kid. Also, lucky hit. <laughs> now, 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 let me ask you guys a question. Um, you're having so much fun with, with these games... Would you pay $120 for the two of them? No. 
would you would you pay would you pay for I would pay a hundred and twenty dollars Mexican. Would you pay a would you pay forty dollars for the two of them? No. Would, Actually, I might if I could resell them for a higher value. Would you play through them for a hundred and forty dollars? No, no. Because <laughs> see, you do the maths on that, and you only earn what? What? What, what would it be like? Three dollars an hour, if that. <laughs> I'd rather like do actual day labor for a hundred forty dollars than play these games. Well, for the two people out there in the world who may not believe you guys, they can get their very own brand new copy of Shenmue 1 for the Sega Dreamcast for $72. As long as they're willing to take a risk on this seller who's only got a 97% rating. I sold my copy to someone in Ontario. Here's hoping he's enjoying it. (laughs) You should be ashamed of yourself, Minky. No, I shouldn't. There are people who really like these games. There's uh there's a number of You're used... not among them but there are people. <laughs> there there's a number of used copies for about 15 20 bucks and on the Xbox you can get Shimu 2 brand new for 50 bucks. Get used copies for around 20 bucks. And you want the PAL version of the Dreamcast one. Yeah. But I know what you really want is the Sega Dreamcast version of uh, number 2 which is going for about uh 70 dollars I think. If you don't mind uh, the Japanese original version, all in Japanese, I'm sure. <laughs> is it, is it a region locked? Dream Dreamcast. Anybody remember? Dreamcast is region locked, but it's easy to undo that. I just have uh, what is it? It's a disc that you stick into the Dreamcast. It pl- it spins for a second, and then you can play anything on it. Mm, wow. But but this is the sad part because the PAL and the North American wavelengths are not the same. I was unable to import all the things that I had bought from the machines in Shenmue 1. See, that's is that's that the great thing about the Xbox version. It assumes that you collected everything and got all the martial arts scrolls. So you know all the jujitsus and have all the sonic gachapons. Hmm. Yeah, I, I had a bunch of stuff, but it, which actually was more stuff than I had bought from the machines, but it wasn't the same. Hmm. Um, all right. Well, I just hope that all of our audience members appreciate how much money they've saved by listening to our podcast today, because I know they were all lining up to go out and buy these and two And I games. would like to say this. If Shenmue ever comes back, Yu Suzuki, put all 11 planned parts into the last game. Do not break it up anymore. Maybe if you condense it, something will happen. But you know what? I don't think Shenmue is going to be finished. Hmm. Sega just doesn't seem to be trusting you, Suzuki, with any projects. Well, maybe our listeners now, they got all this money in their hands, the $120 they were planning on spending on Shenmue. They need something to spend it on. Well, we're going to have a couple of recommendations to help them out in our Blast from the Recent Past section. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Okay, no commercials, just music. We'll be right back. This episode brought to you by pets. <laughs> oh, it's not brats.
we're back with our Blast from the Recent past segment where we talk about great RPGs and bad RPGs <laughs> that came out about two years ago. Uh, as well, I know bit. Mr. Apps has one on this list that he's just jumping at the bit to talk no, about. No, but we're not going to talk about that one. Sorry. <laughs> what? What? Wait, what? No, nope. no. Nope. Last I, minute I, change. Nope. Sorry. I, Mike ruined I, it. I was going to do I, it, but he cut me I off, and so I changed my mind. So, we've picked out, I have personally uh, looked at the list of games that came out around uh, February, March of uh, 2010. And I've picked out two games that I believe uh, a lot of people, even uh, RP gamers, may have passed up and that they should probably give some further consideration. We're going to start off talking about Resonance of Faith, developed by Triace, published by Sega, the same people who brought you <laughs> Sanmu. Can they do something good? We're going to find out. This was uh, well. This, this is this is not developed by Sega. There may be a correlation. Oh yeah, developed by Tri. Well, Triace. Come on, man. Come on. We must be kidding yeah. us. Mike, Mike, Mr. Apps must be kidding us. All right. Anyways, Apps Promise is good, so we'll see. Uh, this well, was yeah, re- I, I, as I recall, Mr. Apps, didn't Star Ocean 3 ruin your life? That's right, it did. It did. Released here in North America on March 16th, 2010, for your PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 console. This is a single-player role-playing video game rated T4. Terrific? Can it be from Tri-Ace? Let's find out. Mr. Apps. Let's talk about well, Resonance of Faith. Let's start off talking about the plot. What is this Resonance of Faith thing? Who are, who are these people that are dressed in funky Victorian clothing on the, with What with is this setting guns? where you yeah. fall through clouds and there's still more city below you? Yeah, what's up with this? Are you talking about the awesome intro video? Yes, that, this is all I know of Resonance of Fate is the intro video yeah. because it showed up on Unskippable. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like MST3K for game cutscenes. Oh, really? Cool. Oh, give me a link to that. Put that in the show notes, too. We we love MST3K, don't we, Mike? Yes. All right. Doesn't everyone? Everyone does. The song we wrote for the train scene. Nice. That'd be awesome. Yeah, make sure we get some linkage action on that. All right, so, story. What is the story to Resonance of Faith, and do we care? Uh, A little bit. Um, The story of Resonance of Faith... It takes place in this weird, futuristic, steampunk, kind of Victorian-ish world, um, where it's basically, it never really goes into this, but you can tell it's in the future where the outside world is basically being destroyed, and all humans are living in this tower. Oh, and... you're making me depressed. Well, <laughs> uh, thankfully this game is mostly lighthearted, so... Really? It'll cheer you up. Yes, surprisingly. Um, you know, this game has kind of the game has this kind of weird plot going on in the background, mm-hmm. but it almost it's almost not important. It's it it mainly just serves as a backdrop for which you learn about the three main characters and you know their triumphs and struggles. And that's ultimately what what makes the story interesting. You know, you can delve in a bit, try and figure out the mysteries of the world, like um, all the people living in this tower. They each have like their own unique crystal that, if it shatters, they die. Um, you know, and there's some kind of machine that controls the fate of people in the tower. But you know, ultimately, that is not all that important to the actual game because, unlike you know, 
certain games involving oceans and the stars. <laughs> the focus of this Tri-Ace game is mostly on the gameplay. And the story largely takes a back seat. Oh, just like Shimmyu. Um, <laughs> where the focus is on <laughs> where the focus is on that awesome uh, quick time events gameplay we've been talking about. Okay, maybe not. Or do we? So we do we have? So for the gameplay, uh, do do we have a bunch of awesome quick time events to get us through this uh, moving uh, story? No, nope, no quick time events. Uh, how the game flows is you'll generally get a cutscene at the beginning of a chapter. The game is sixteen chapters long, um, and that's the complete tale. All sixteen. Chapters are in there telling the complete tale. You don't have to worry about cliffhangers. Um, but, you know, you get some cutscenes. A lot of them are pretty funny. Uh, the game is incredibly well localized, um, including it stars Nolan North of an un- Uncharted fame. Nolan North, the mark of quality yes. in voice acting. He's really good in this game. You know, that's the thing. I, I badmouth him for being in everything, but he's actually pretty good at stuff. He is. He really is. He's my favorite Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> he's a really good Deadpool. I know. Uh, but anyway, you know, you get a cutscene. There might be some cutscenes in the, in the middle of the chapter, and then a cutscene at the end. But in between that, you're largely free to lo- roam around the areas that are currently open, um, engage in battle, uh take on some side quests if you want or just go right on to the main quest all right so uh, so let's uh let's talk about the battle because anybody who's even looked into a resonance fate review probably saw that over half the review usually was dedicated to the battle system why is that because it's incredibly complicated hmm explain it, it's uh will do my best to explain without going into too much detail because What's interesting about the the best way to actually learn what this battle system all is all about is to actually play the game and experiment with it, and that's really the only way you can learn it. Uh, the best way I can explain it is it's sort of a strategy RPG with real time elements. Mm-hmm. So you so you've got three main characters, and through most of the chapters, you're going to be controlling all three. Um, there's a few where you control two, or, but you know largely you're controlling all three. So the battle. This is a steampunk setting, and you know it's all about guns. You know there's no real melee combat here or anything like that. So the way you control your characters is there's two different ways. Uh, you can move them normally, and when you do that, you know when you're moving or when you're charging up to. Uh, fire a shot or charging up to use a healing item or anything like that the enemies will move as well mm-hmm. uh, and then attack you which could potentially stop whatever you're doing so which the other way you can control the characters which is what you're going to be doing most of the time is called a hero action which is doesn't exactly describe what it is um, but essentially you'll press a button and you'll set your character on a straight line you know, this this part's all turn-based, so you can take your time figuring out what path you want to go. And then the character will start running in that path in real time. And in this mode, you can't be damaged or anything like that. Um, so you're free to target enemies, get some hits in, uh, until the character reaches their end path. Um, you can also now... Oh, I'm trying to... There's, there's so much... There's just so much to get into. Um... 
So, mm-hmm. as we all so, sit by quietly and watch him flatter. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know how your attack is. Um, as you level up your ability with guns, um, this meter will charge up, and you know depending on how high it charges, it'll do more damage or do various effects. And you'll hit the enemy. Enemies ha- usually have multiple parts. Like, not necessarily like you're going to be shooting off multiple arms or anything like that, but they might have pieces of armor you can shoot off or something like that. So when you're just running along, you're going to be doing all your attacks to whatever's in front of you. But you can also jump, and once you start jumping, you'll be in the air till the end of that hero action. And when you're attacking from that area, you'll your damage will be split among all the parts in that enemy. Hmm. Now, where that comes into play is these hero actions obviously are very important because that's mostly, mostly what you're going to be doing in battle and mostly how you're going to be winning, but you only you have a certain number of points to do these hero actions, and when you run out of them, you go into basically like danger mode, and that's the only time... Um, where you can... That's basically the only time where your characters are going to be able to die. Mm-hmm. Well, that's some pretty deep stuff. Yes, I and there's more. And help, wait, help, there's help, more! How deep do you want me to go into this? <laughs> you thought 10 steps was enough? You're wrong! Let's try 15! Uh, and, so, go ahead. So, there's two different kinds of damage in this game. Scratch damage and regular damage. So scratch damage is kind of temporary damage. You're not really, you don't really kill anything that way, but you do more damage that way. And then the regular damage, when you will convert that scratch damage into full damage, uh, and that can actually kill enemies and destroy parts. So there's basically there's two different kinds of guns: one for the regular damage, and one for the scratch damage. So you have to, you know successfully use both. Have one character going around attacking enemies with for the scratch damage, somebody else going in and cleaning them up. And, you know, obviously make good use of your hero points so that you're constantly killing enemies and refilling them. And that's kind of the basic idea, as basic as I can make the combat. So what you're saying, what you're what you're what you are proposing is that I can't just sit back and slam on the X button? Um, no. I can't just, like in most other JRPGs, I can't just do attack, attack, heal every turn and it's over after a couple minutes? No, you have to use your brain. Aww. I, I know, I know oh you God. don't really, I, you don't like doing that, but you really have to use your brain. So is there any other RPG that you can think of that might is be... anything s- like this? Yeah, yeah, I was going to no. say, is there anything that people could relate that to? No. Um, I mean, if the way it kind of fits together and Not plays out... GURPS? No. Uh, the way it kind of fits together and plays out is a lot like um, strategy RPGs. Like, when you go through a dungeon, it's all through, you know, the the battle system. Uh-huh. So, you, so you really get kind of that strategy RPG feel where, you know, the, basically the meat and potatoes of the game is battles. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, later on, you know, more wrinkles are thrown into the game. Uh, you get grenades. Um, you get bullets of various types that add, you know, with elemental effects. Um, bullets that give 
enemies, different status ailments, things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's there's a lot to it. Mm. You know, but but the game thankfully is very forgiving about it. Uh, you can retry a battle at any time. You just press start and go to retry. It will cost you, you know, in-game money, but uh, even if you run out of money, you can still retry as many times as you want. So the game kind of encourages you to learn by just learn by failure, essentially. Um, but you know, once you get the hang of it, uh, it's just so much fun to play. Does the game do a good job of explaining this apparently very deep and complicated battle system? Um, well, there's a long tutorial um, that I think does a decent job of explaining each base mechanic, mm-hmm. but I don't think it really does a good job of explaining how kind of all these pieces fit together. Like, it tells you how to use these hero actions, but it doesn't really tell you why they're important or how best to use them, or anything like that. So it it gives you um, the different pieces. It explains those pretty well, but it's up to you to figure out how to put them together. Exactly. Okay, fair enough. So the way I've often seen this game described is it's kind of the polar opposite of Final Fantasy Thirteen, which kind of laboriously takes forever to let you learn all the mechanics, whereas this game gives you a tutorial and then says, here, you know, have fun. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Did you did you find yourself uh, reaching for uh, a fac? No. Okay. So you were just um, able. To- I think I think for some of the tougher boss battles, I may have had to, but for the most part, I kind of just you know kept trying different things. You know, that's that's the important thing with this game. You know, if something doesn't work, try a different strategy. Mm-hmm. Maybe try some different bullet types. Mm-hmm. You know. Or you can always do some leveling up. Oh, what's interesting? Great. What's interesting about the leveling up system in this game is it's you level up uh, your skill in each of the game's three different weapon types, uh-huh. uh, which is handguns, machine guns, and grenades. So a trick I learned early on is if you alternate which characters using which of those types, they'll level up faster, since they'll always have one weapon type that's a lower level than the other ones. Hmm. So, uh, now, I dabbled in this just a teeny tiny bit when I first got it, before I had to put it in its place in my backlog. Um, I remember, now that I didn't like it, or did did like it, I just didn't really have enough time to put into it, but I did want to see what it looked like, make sure the disc worked, because I bought it used. Um, I remember there, uh, that the interface, or the um, interaction, was also kind of unique in the fact that uh, maybe you can explain how you kind of get from place to place. Uh, I believe there were some pieces you had to put down, or something along those lines. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the world map, quote-unquote, that you travel around is basically like a hex grid. And to advance around there, you would get um, basically like puzzle pieces from battles and chests, treasure chests and whatnot. And you'd have to use those to unlock the different areas on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some interesting things you could do with that. Like there were different colored puzzle pieces, which you could connect to um, these nodes on the map that provided benefits so you could kind of connect those colored pieces together and you know provide different benefits to some of the dungeons or just kind of the general areas you know for the random battles you'd run into on the world map okay um 
So what did you think about the about the interface as far as, you know, that kind of unique approach to the overland? I liked it. I thought it was uh interesting and you were really rewarded for kind of unlocking as many areas as possible, you know. As you unlock parts, you'd find uh different items. Um you'd also find uh, there are these little pieces that eventually build up to give you more points to use hero actions, uh-huh. and you'd f- you'd often find those by unlocking a bunch of areas on the map. So you definitely have to bring your thinking cap on from not only the battles but also in how you work these pieces. Yes, the you know the game really encourages you to explore. Okay, was there um, was there a lot of uh, NPCs to talk to? Uh, there were a fair number. Yeah, there's several cities in the in the game you can go to and talk to the people. Um, you know, they provide a lot of them are provide pretty meaningless commentary, but you know, some of them would, could provide some interesting facts if you're, you know, you want to learn about the game world. Uh-huh. But you know, the way the story is structured, um, you don't really need to learn that much about the about you know the overall story if you don't want to. Hmm. Okay. Um so um it had a it had a pretty interesting the game had a pretty interesting look, right? I mean it kinda have this futuristic steampunk thing going on. Yeah, I wouldn't really say it's a unique look or anything, but I I, I thought it was a good looking game. Uh it's got a lot of interesting like robot type enemies and weird little goblin things. It it's got a interesting art style to it. Did you have any um, Did you have any thoughts about the graphics overall? Um, I uh, not like brilliant, but you know, on a technical level, but you know, it's just an overall good look to it. Uh, some of the dungeons were pretty bland, but I thought it was kind of cool how the characters had different outfits. Yeah, that that's an interesting feature they put in there, where you could find and purchase different. You know, clothing to put on the characters. It's kind of like dress me, dress me up RPG. Because I, exactly. I, I didn't get that far in the game, but I got far enough to see that. I mean, the character. Uh, I mean, from what I saw, the the the, the backgrounds could look a little bland at times, but the characters were pretty cool. And the fact that you could really customize them, because I had like different outfits I could pick from. And from what I understand, you can find more of these things, right? Yep, you can find a lot of them. And my wife enjoyed uh, coming by and watch me play makeup Barbie. I mean, um. Dress me up RPG. <laughs> you can even like change their hair color and stuff like that. Okay. Oh, hair color too. There you go. So yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. You had a lot of fun with it, huh, Mr. Apps? I love this game. And it completely blindsided me. And uh, you know, a lot of people um a lot of people pass this up because it's a tries title or, you know, it's a new IP, no one's heard of Residence be a fate before. Uh you read the reviews and uh some of them some of the reviewers really didn't give it a, a in my opinion anyways, a really kind of a fair shake. Oh, complicated battle system, oh we're done here. Go back and play some traditional games. <laughs> um uh, where yeah. yeah, it was kind of a little disappointing on that front. Yeah, you know, uh, this game does the exact opposite of what a lot of people complain about Japanese RPGs. Basically, too much story, you know, the same old gameplay, and they kind of bashed it for doing those exact things. Mm-hmm. The, the exact opposite of those things, rather. 
So, um, uh, but for the most part, if, you know, in doing some research on this, for the most part, a lot of people did like it. Uh, got a, you know, got an 82, uh, 82% from, from users. Um, so it's, it's definitely something you want to go and, and check out. And because, um, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, it's Tri-Ace or whatever have you, uh, the <laughs> values on these things uh, usually go down because they tend to make a lot of them. Uh, so you can grab uh, Residents of Faith brand new in the box today for about 25 bucks from uh, Half.com. Uh, probably it's on Amazon for around the same price. Uh, you can get them used on Half.com for about uh, 20 bucks. As everyone can tell, I use you know half.com for my price checking. That's <laughs> uh, kind of a, a nice arm of eBay there if you never use that. Um, let's see. I'm showing on Amazon.com uh, Residence of Faith brand new, 22 bucks. Um, so that's pretty cool, and you can get it on second day with Prime. So all right. Yeah, go for it. I I I highly recommend it. It was definitely my favorite game that year, and I. Put 60 hours into it probably faster than uh, almost any, you know, any game I can think of. Hmm. I just couldn't put it down. And, you know, obviously, we're making the jokes about Star Ocean 3. I was never <laughs> a Tri-Ace fan before this game came out. I kind of just bought it because it looked interesting. Don't let the name scare you away, people. <laughs> Tri-Ace can do something good once in a while. Yes, like yes. Valkyrie Profile, if anybody remembers that episode we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Though, Mr. Apps, if you, when you get to the second Valkyrie Profile game, you're going to find a very mixed bag. Oh. Well, speaking of 60-plus uh, hour games, uh, the game I'm bringing to the table tonight is Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey. This was developed by Atlas and published by the same uh, four-year Nintendo DS handheld entertainment system, released here in North America on March 23rd, 2010. This is a single-player RPG experience rated M for I don't know why. I'm like playing the game, I'm like, where's the M content here? I don't even see a swear word. There's not even any blood and guts. I'm looking for Mortal Kombat. I'm thinking when I kill a monster, I'm going to get like a Mortal Kombat cutscene where I rip its heart out because it's, it's labeled M for Mature. I, I think Maybe it's, it's M for Momentous. You know, I think it's yeah, M for <laughs> Monumental. I don't know. I think it, I think what happened was, you know, they just, uh, you know, they said, well, all these other Shimegami games where we're talking about demons and stuff, uh, you know, they got M, so let's just slap an M on this one too. I, I Wait, don't know. If you, if you get a game over, doesn't the world end? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah, the world ends. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you got a really good explanation of why this game got an M rating, I would love to hear it because I'm, I'm still looking for it myself. Um, you are how far? Uh, not that far, but okay. I mean, you know, come on, what are they going to do? They're going to have at the very end there was a cutscene. I don't know. You know, usually if you're I, I, in I know, Phil, I bet if you go into the wrong room, then you'll find. A puff puff girl with really good graphics. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's probably a hot coffee mod for Shimigami Tensei. <laughs> Let's. I, I don't know. Do they have the demon that's basically a penis on a wagon in this game? That'd be cool. Because that could explain yeah, it. Yeah, maybe that's it. Well, I mean, I did have a fairy who kind of hit on me. You know, I want to join your <laughs> team. You look cute, but. I don't know. So Strange Journey is a first-person uh, dungeon-crawling type of deal. And um, anybody who knows Shin Megami Tensei games, you kind of know what you're getting into because you know you're going to have a party. You know you're going to have demons in your party, and you know you're going to capture or get them to come to your team and then merge them or whatever to create brand-new demons. Um, you know, a lot of that is the same. Uh, the um, 
uh, the DS definitely it, 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 one of the cool things the DS did was uh, gave us a slew of third or um, third person or first person uh, dungeon crawler type of deals. I mean, we have Etrian Odyssey series. We've got um, uh, Dark Spire, the game that I keep trying to forget. And then you have <laughs> Shimegami, <laughs> Shimegami Tensei. Now, I've always You've got one that I played, which was a remake of a cell phone game in Japan, and I'll remember the name eventually because it was just that memorable. <laughs> so the game is called Strange Journey, and it starts off uh, with a story that all you know does its best to earn that title. Uh, it starts off. You're first of all, you're in you're in a modern day setting. You're at the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, sudden massive atomic collapse occurs in the South Pole, and it's causing this strange abnormality. Uh, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it. It's like the I'm just gonna call it the Schwartz. I know it's not called the Schwartz, but I'm gonna be the Schwartz. Be with you. the Schwartz be with you. And in this game, you don't want the Schwartz with Who's you. Who's the Schwartz, Lone Star? Because <laughs> the Schwartz is eating up the Earth. It started off as this. Uh, you start off on the South Pole as this small uh, void that was no more than maybe a few inches or a few feet in diameter, but it's slowly growing out to now it's covering up a you know so many square miles, a good chunk of Antarctica at this point. So the United Nations uh, gathers a group of researchers from all over the world to go and research this thing, um, but it needs some uh, some military to go with them to make sure they're going to be safe because no one knows what the heck's going on this. So they've created these vehicles that can fly for short periods of time and hold the researchers. Uh, there's four vehicles all together. A couple of them are filled with, uh, with uh, army strike people, and you being the main character, uh, you're one of those uh, troops. And so as you get over there, lots of really bad things happen. I won't give away too much, but lots of bad things happen, and you're, you're forced to go your, – your ship makes a crash landing inside of the Schwartz. And you gotta go. I can't help myself there. And you gotta go out and and start investigating the Schwartz. And of course, uh, being that it's a Shin Megami Tensei game, uh, they. Uh, how do you use your Schwartz? Bro? No, 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 no. You're exploring the Schwartz. You don't use your Schwartz. You do. You do use. Uh, uh, you you do have this uh, body armor with this really funky looking helmet that looks like it's from a 1930s sci-fi flick. Uh, this armor uh, allows you to see things and pick up on things and be able to handle combat situations much better than a normal human could. Uh, I think it's called the Demonica suit. Wow, very original since you're dealing with demons. And um, as you land there, the Demonica suit uh, receives a program that allows you to interact with demons who are living inside the Schwartz. So uh, you will go out into the Schwartz. You will recruit demons to help you fight other demons uh, and and do all kinds of fun things with your demons like merging them and the such and uh, whatever have you. So the gameplay itself, is, from what you know, what I've experienced so far, is just been, is very typical third person, uh, first person dungeon. Uh, you are stuck on ninety degree angle type of deals. Uh, there is an auto map in place. So you're walking around. It's just, the auto map's done a great job of, of keeping track of everything and making it real easy for me to figure out where I am and where I'm going. Um, the battles are standard uh, JRPG turn-based affairs with the sh with the normal Shin Megami Tensei trappings. Uh, everything has elemental strengths and weaknesses, um, and uh, if you hit it with a weakness, then not only does it take extra damage, 
but your uh, demon allies who are of the same alignment as you get uh, get an extra attack on the guy that you just uh, hit with a weakness. Um, so uh, they've been it's 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 balanced pretty well uh, so far. There I've I think I've died once, <laughs> and uh, that was actually kind of mean death because it was just like a demon sees you critical hit on the hero hero's dead game over. It's one of those deals where if your main character dies, uh, you get an entire game over. Thankfully, he seems to get a pretty good chunk of hit points, uh, number of hit points per leveling up, and uh, I made sure from that point forward to make sure I spare no expense in his uh, armament and <laughs> defensively so uh, he doesn't quite die as quickly now <clears throat> um let's sure here but um uh now uh, in reading a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, the reviews and the such the the plot here what's really cool for a dungeon crawler game what i've played so far has a lot of plot a lot of characterization i mean you see your friends out in the field it really sets a tone for the game because people are talking to you constantly <coughs> excuse me um and uh, you are in this unknown space, and you get a sense of tension. Every time you go back to your ship to rearm or to turn things in, uh, there's the, the people have something new to say. There's a, there's a lot of interaction. I did not expect that in a in a in a typical dungeon crawler, even with the Shimegami Tensei name. Um, but from what I understand, as you get uh, pretty far in, maybe about halfway through this sixty to eighty hour journey, um, you get to a really big, huge dungeon. Uh, the, the the big huge mega in dungeon type of deal and the plot pretty much freezes in place for 30 hours or so as you try to figure your way through this very complicated dungeon that you probably need to spend a lot of time grinding in and that will be a big disconnect in once since you might have gotten used to having all this plot and people talking to you every you know 10 minutes and and uh i mean you really get it in little bits and pieces it's really nice the, the a lot of rpgs could learn from the pacing here uh the first half of the game has but it does kind of take a nosedive for the second half um according to our very own glenn wilson's review it's a crying shame but a lot of people will fall off on that last dungeon being that it's such a huge behemoth it's easy to get lost and the the plot just comes to a standstill for a while because if you can hang it out until the end, uh, there is a really, really good ending in store, or in, depending on you know things that you might have done, there's a couple of good endings. But uh, apparently it, it comes to a very satisfying conclusion. Uh, reading Glenn's review, without getting, he didn't go into details, thankfully. But I'm like, wow, this, this sounds better than some of these Final Fantasy endings of some of the games I've been playing. So I'm looking forward to that part myself. But you gotta know what you're kind of getting into there, um, and whatnot. But if you're looking for a good uh, dungeon crawler, uh, so far I am totally enjoying this more than Dark Spire, which completely got me lost. I'm looking for hidden rooms and keys, and having to look up at the cues. Oh, by the way, when I go to buy an item, I don't even know whether or not it's better than the item I've got because there's no explanations. Um, yeah, it's it doesn't oh, have. Oh, but Phil. I th I thought that was part of the joy of playing it that you get to go through a separate dungeon in order to unlock each advanced class, a dungeon with no real enemies even. So you're just wandering around first person for ten minutes to to find the recipe for the class change. Let me tell you something, Mike. We had a we had a little sidebar on this on the forums, and uh, someone said, you know, I really like the difficulty level of Dark Spire, and I'm thinking this isn't difficulty level, people. It's stupidity. 
if you're giving me a game and you can't even tell me how to, uh, you know, what the classes do, whether or not if I buy this weapon it, it's actually going to be stronger or not, that's not hard, and I put that in quotation marks, that's just stupid. Because I don't have time to fart around with that garbage. No, you, you, you go ahead and spend your hard-earned gold and, and that you took five hours to grind up to see whether or not that katana <laughs> is any stronger than your longsword by watching battles for another 30 minutes and averaging out the numbers. That's not hard. That's stupid. That, that's just silliness. And then, and then with, with Etrian Odyssey, uh, and granted, I've only played the first one in that, but my problem with Etrian Odyssey was it took so long to grind up. I, it just it takes forever to gain the levels necessary to go forward in there, and and you know people say, well, that's part of dungeon crawlers or whatnot. Yeah, but it's really slow in that game. I mean, I'm talking like I, if I level nine to ten takes forever. I can't even imagine what happens when you're in your thirties. I, I I don't know. It was maybe it was just me and Shimigami. I'm five hours in. Uh, when I was five hours in, I was already level ten. So I, I don't know. It took me a lot longer than that to get level ten in Etrian Odyssey. But maybe I was just silly. Um. So, this one so far is, is has been a, a a more fun dungeon crawl for me than any of those guys. So we'll keep plugging through it, and I'll probably give you all an update when I finally get through it, assuming that I don't give up the frustration at the end like I sometimes do. And even then, I'll give you an update. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, I'm really enjoying it. It was worth the uh, the money I paid. Now, it may not be the money worth the money you pay that you may pay if you try to get this game right now because being a Shimigami Tensei game, let's take a look. But they, they And an Atlas game. Yeah, and an Atlas game. I meant to say, yeah, an Atlas game. Atlas games are just crazy. Um, I buy those games whenever they come out. Oh, well, this one hasn't gone up. <laughs> well, there goes my theory. I'll tell you what, boys and girls, if you've listened to this long enough, but some of you know, some of you don't, I, I don't like to buy games brand new because 90% of them are down to half price within six months. A little patience goes a long way. Um... Not get, with Atlas games. But not with Atlas games, no. Not not with Nice games and not with Atlas games and not with first-person first Nintendo games. Those three categories I pretty much buy when they come out because yeah, – They're not getting any cheaper. They're not getting any cheaper. So uh, Shimigami Tensei it really hasn't gotten any cheaper, but thankfully it hasn't gotten any more expensive either. You can buy it brand new for about 35 bucks uh, with shipping. Uh, you can also get it used. Uh, I see a few. Uh, I see a few reputable listings on here for under the twenty dollar mark. Uh, so that's a that's a good uh, a good way to pick up on that game. You might want to do so because it wouldn't surprise me if next year you take a look at this and it shot up through the roof because they usually do. <laughs> so in fact, I was looking at uh, what was it? Overclocked uh, Shimigami Tensei. What was it? Uh, Devil Survivor. Uh, Devil Survivor and Devil Survivor Overclocked, uh, and uh, let's just I, I, yeah, let's just take a look. Devil Survivor was like fifty bucks brand new now, and there's only one copy left. So I'm surprised that guy didn't just list it for eighty bucks and call it a day. And let's you know that's really not that bad because and, and Shin Megami uh, that, oh, go that ahead. game is, you know Shin Megami Tensei games are better than most games you're going to be paying. Fifty to sixty dollars. Oh, yeah, and you know, no, you're absolutely right. I'll tell you what, and and Chevrolet, and I just, I just bought this one, Shimigami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclocked, the 3DS version, which has like an extra chapter and stuff, and uh, and like one 3D effect at the beginning of the game, and then it goes back to 2D <laughs> mode, as I mentioned in the chat. Um, that brand new, you can get a cop. Uh, I got one copy here listed for sixty bucks, one for eighty bucks, and a used copy for sixty bucks. Uh, there's some auctions going on for eBay that are up to about forty bucks, but they haven't closed yet. Uh, Though you know, but you know what? You're right. You're gonna pay. Uh, you're gonna pay. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna pay forty bucks for a brand new RPG that came out that sucked. 
you know, Shin Megami Tensei games overall are very solid games. Uh, at, at worst, they're a little above average. And when they're really good, I mean, when they're good, they're really good, like the Persona games. So. Yeah, the, the only, I mean, the really only so-so one I've played was the re-release of the original Persona. Mm, yeah. But, I mean, even even that isn't, like, horrible. No, that's about – no, you know, and I played that one, too, and I know exactly where you're coming from. The, the, the uh, Persona 1 and 2, which you can get on your PSP, uh, that's – those are tough guys to get into. Those are old school. I mean, isometric point of view, the pacing slower than the uh, Persona games and the such. Um, it feels more grindy to me, too. Um, yeah, that's – that's a little. Those you got to get into those. You no, know, if you're going to get into those, realize you're going old school, and that age, the years haven't treated them well. But uh, yeah. the PlayStation Two ones, like I played uh, Shimigami Tensei. What the heck is it called? Nocturne. Yes, I really like that one. Um, yeah. All the, all the PS2 ones are really good. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Digital and, Devil Saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the Devil Summoner games on PS2. What about oh, the man, Raido Kuzuno? Raido Kuzuno, yeah. yeah. Is that good? I haven't <laughs> that played guy, that yet. That guy is awesome. Yeah. You know what? I'm that... I'm gonna say this. I should probably save this for the Persona backtrack, but Persona Four needs mechanics from the Kuzunoha games. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I'm uh... surprised you didn't have me talk about Infinite Space, Phil. <laughs> she want to talk we about it. We feel lied to. The space was not, in fact, infinite. Oh. <laughs> well, Scott, what else did you expect when it was released by Sega? Sega. Sega. <laughs> you know, I went to um, PAX East. I think what's when the heck was it? I think it was the f- the first one, and they were demoing that and Resonance Fate, Resonance of Fate, at the same time. Hmm. And Crazy. their booth wasn't very populated. <laughs> hmm. Well, well, I think you should talk about Infinite Space, but save it for next week because we really don't have a whole lot lined up for next, next, next podcast, right? What are we talking about next one? Yeah, what are we talking? Well, we should, you know, what are we talking about next week? Uh, the, the Mario and Luigi games. Oh yeah, that'll take two minutes. No problem. All right. Dang it, Scott! You were supposed to go into this long segue about how there's two guys, one in red, one in green. They bounce around on things and they don't they never do the job that they're supposedly employed as. <laughs> no, no. They they went inside Bowser Fantastic Voyage style. That's exactly like plumbing. Exactly. Except they didn't have a Raquel Welch standing. Hmm. Well, with that, we're going to take another break and we're going to wrap up our podcast with the final lap.
here we are. We like to wrap up our show, do our housekeeping, and just yik yak here at the end of the show <laughs> with our final lap. Uh, let's see here. So we already mentioned we're talking about Mario next week. Do we have some cool comments and questions and comments on our forms, Mr. Minky? Let's that, see here. There was Pretentious Man. <laughs> pretentious Man? <laughs> we'll get the Pretentious Man soon. First, we had Shaman expressing gratitude at Phil's attempt to pronounce the first Kingdom Hearts game on DS. And yes, Phil, you were there to supply much amusement. That's really and my. Wheels also got to remember the ice life. cream man. No, no, no. <laughs> Quinn said that he spent most of the cast playing one of the Kingdom Hearts games. Good for him, I guess. Cassandra Ramos, who will be with us next time, said that she thinks Mr. Epps likes Stitch. She's probably right. I do. He's a hilarious character. I need to watch that movie again. She was also a little upset that I didn't call accidentally call her one of the other lady host names. You can fix that next week. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Um, yeah, so which sounds a lot more uh, Aztec than I would expect from an Australian member, but whatever. <laughs> he wrote a very long post, and and I'm not going to read it. I'll just encourage you to go and check out post number ten. No, but I want to rant about this guy. No, I want to rant about this guy. Well, let well, me Scott, let me Scott, first. Let's, let's preface it by yeah. saying that there is apparently a lot of subtext to the Kingdom Hearts series. A lot of subtext. Yeah. No. no, there is no subtext. Do you know why? Because Japanese game developers can't have subtext. They have to take the action, which is slow enough, pop the clutch, jam it right down to first gear to put everything blatantly obviously in text. This is time to emphasize our themes, and you will watch my cutscene where a character explains them. How do you... It's usually boil down to how important it is to love everyone and trust everyone and how it's bad not to do that, right? Yes. <laughs> and follow your heart or the heartless or I don't remember. But <laughs> okay. And this is my second point related to this comment, his whole essay here. This is a game with Winnie the Pooh in it. <laughs> no, no. Fa- fa- remember, keep that in mind. But Scott, it's, it's like you're saying that Tigger isn't a deep and fulfilling character with many thoughts on the world at large. See, that this is my whole complaint with Kingdom Hearts, is that you are t- the, the team clearly wants to explore these themes and is stuck with Disney characters to do it with. <laughs> the- make a game where you just hang out with Disney characters and they have fun. Like, I want to see... All sorts of crazy mashups. I want Jack Sparrow to punch Tron, but apparently they don't understand what a cross how crossovers work. So, yeah. yeah, when you're crossing over using only original characters you've created for this, it kind of defeats the purpose. So, you know, for for those two people who may not know what's going on, I'm going to call them Zoe. <laughs> Zoe puts forth uh, in response to our podcast. Uh, that there is uh, that the Kingdom Hearts uh, series is extremely unique in its uh, you know artsiness, and I'll put that in quotes. That's chock full of very deep literary devices and a and a plot that 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 is just underappreciated, at least by the people who talked about this on the cast. 
Um, and 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 I and I bring this up because he's not he or she or it is not the only one who has this point of view. There's websites set up to help explain the plot. Isn't there a Kingdom Hearts wiki that explains in depth everything that happens in these games? That's right. I'm sure there is. Just in case you're dense like I am, and you just or you just didn't care, um, it's there and it explains all of this really deep hidden underneath stuff or whatnot. Now, Becky's response, I felt, was very efficiently worded in the first line or two. She says, I'm sure that all that stuff is there to find, but the problem is, A, it's spread thinly through a bunch of different games on different platforms, and some of those games honestly aren't very good, and B, (laughs) the highly abstract themes largely clash with the simple message of friendship found in most Disney stories. So yeah, when you try when you have Winnie the Pooh trying to get all uh, Buddha on you, it, it it just doesn't work out too well. And people like me just keep hitting the X button so we can fight some more Heartless because that's all we some of us wanted to do anyway. Now, and now you can have deep themes and interesting comments to make in a game, but make them. But you know what? In fiction, they say don't show, don't tell show. In video games, you don't show, you do. Mm-hmm. So, like, think about Bioshock. Bioshock said a lot of things about objectivism without saying anything about objectivism. It questioned the agency of protagonists in first-person shooters without really pointing it out that much. <laughs> JRPGs could do this. I think there are don't. a few which make an effort, but what I understand is that Kingdom Hearts is not one of them. No. Okay. Enix is not one of them. Hold on, I have a question. What is the deep philosophical meaning behind the eating of the ice cream in that awful DS game? (laughs) (laughs) What was the flavor of the ice cream again? Sea salt. Yes. Yeah. Then then you're eating cold sea salt, and that symbolizes an ocean from from one of the poles. And you are actually eating glacial runoff. See, there's the deep <gasps> meaning. <laughs> oh, my. It's the bittersweet memories of youth. That's what it is. I like mine better, but okay. <laughs> so, so uh, all righty. So you can, you too can join all these very deep and philosophical discussions over at board.rpgamer.com. And uh, we usually have a thread or two about our latest show, so you want to check that out. Uh, so, as we mentioned before, our next show will be backtrack number 68, Luigi Mario. We'll talk about Mario and Luigi. Mario and Luigi yes, partners in we learned time. from the Super Mario Brothers movie, Luigi's last name is Mario. And Mario's last name is Mario. And Mario and Luigi Bowser's Insight Story. <laughs> and we'll let Mike talk about Infinite Space. Sure, he has a lot to talk about there. And then you'll have someone who can talk about the Pokemon games too. Pika. All right, it is time. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all, Pokemon. Oh, sorry. Um. So, <laughs> whoo. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's give you all some time to pimpage or whatever we call this little segment in a segment where everyone gets a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck they want or pimp something that they're doing on the side or whatever makes you happy. Whatever you're playing, this this is just your time to get it all off your chest. Mr. Apps, go. Uh, well, I will soon be playing Mass Effect 3. Get out. Um, but 
Uh, I'm also still trying to beat War in the North, but I have some good news there. I've finally gotten past the part where the game kept breaking my saves. So I may actually finish it soon. My God. Hallelujah. And you've been playing that instead of the Tales of the Abyss on 3DS, right? Uh, Well, no. I've been playing it sparingly until I could figure out a way to actually get past that point. Uh, So I finally found a bit of advice online that I hadn't thought of, uh, which was to basically try my save using a different character. And I tried that, and it worked. So there you go. Hmm. Anything else you have for the group tonight? Uh, I am also playing Lunar Silver Star for Sega CD. Okay, where are you? Retro review. I just got to the main continent. Okay, that. um, Let's see. That's actually not too far in the game, (laughs) but it's very different from the later versions. In that, Luna does not go with you to the main continent. Yes, and also it's got a world map with random battles, which makes getting around kind of difficult. It's, is why, it's which not is a why very I've long game. That far. No. Um, it's even I, shorter in this version than it is later versions. And I've heard the story is slightly different than it is in the later versions as well. In, it is. In to, Lots uh, of things were added I, in the... Um, which one did I, I played a Lunar Legend, which was not a very good version of it, but it, it allowed me to see how much was changed later on. Yeah, but, you know, it... So far, it's been pretty interesting. It's got its problems. I mean, obviously, it's an older game. Um, But you can kind of see a lot of good things there. And, you know, I used to kind of bash them for remaking this game a bunch of times. Um, But I can kind of see why they would want to. Well, Um, yeah. uh, This came out in 1992 in Japan. And (laughs) let's face it, voiced video games on consoles were not really at the cusp of their abilities in 1992. No. I think if you put all of the FMV together, it amounts to maybe 20 minutes of this game. (laughs) Yeah, so their ambitions for this game, I think, were a little more than the system could actually do. So I get why, you know, they went all out with, you know, remakes on... PS1. Well, I would suggest that you try Eternal Blue on Sega CD because that one needed considerably fewer tweaks, as I understand it. It was a damn good game the first time. I'll have to do that. Just be prepared. It's it's a little harder to find than Silver Star on Sega CD. Uh, but yeah, it's... um. Oh, and you know, did, did you get a line from Alex yet? I know he speaks exactly four times in the game. I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, it's a fun, fun little, very dated RPG. But the combat still manages to be pretty fast and fun, at least it did for me. Oh yeah, it is very, very fast. Um, it almost puts puts the uh, combat in the PSP remake to shame, which is kind of slow. Okay. Let us move on in and see if Mr. Walkamata has anything he'd like to share with us. Well, I just I was looking at other games from 1992 to give a baseline and discovered that was when the Spelljammer game came out. And Ooh. I just like to point out that Spelljammer 
sucks. No, get get. All right, that's it. I'm kicking you off. Sorry, sorry. Uh, that silence you hear is where Scott used to be on the podcast, y'all. Just nothing to see here. Move on. Spelljammer was awesome. No, it was no it full wasn't. of pwnsomeness. It was D and D in space. What wasn't there like? Um, hippo D&D men in space. Yeah, I mean, I got to fly around a ship and. You know, go chase down other ships, and then we'd start ship-to-ship combat. I was casting stinking clouds and stuff. It was awesome. No. I sense we'll have more to say on this in the in the future sometime. No, nah, to be honest, my memory isn't all that great. That's about, that's about <laughs> it. That was the extent of my Spelljammer memory. I was young, and, you know, I was farting around with the computer. It didn't actually make a... I probably put maybe 10 or 20 hours into it back in the day. I didn't actually make an attempt to actually beat the game. I just and farted I... around with it. Mike. I never actually played the game. I just know the Spelljammer setting. Sucks. Oh, jeez. The game is awesome. Oh, I'm talking about the computer game. When did the computer game come? Is that when the computer came? No, the computer game. Yeah, computer. 92 was, was the 92? computer game. Oh, okay. the, the original box set for AD&D was 89. Ah. Hmm. Okay. Well, is there anything you'd like to share, Mr. Walkman, aside from your blasphemy regarding Spelljammer? Um, let's see. What am I doing? Deadlands is awesome. That's what I'm going to say. Deadlands, is, my current Sunday tabletop game is playing uh, the Flood Adventure, ser- uh, Plot Point Adventure for Deadlands Reloaded. It is pretty darn cool. Sweet. Cool, cool, cool. You're going to be playing Mass Effect 3 when Sam's not busy with it, I assume? Yeah, Sam, yeah. I will. This weekend, it's my present for finishing papers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, all of my friends are out playing Mass Effect, but uh, my cheap my cheap hand won't let me go and do it when I remember that I got Mass Effect 1 for like $15 at the end of the year it came out on Steam or something, so um, yeah, I'll just wait for the end of the year or for next year when they have the Game of the Year edition with all the expensive DLC all wrapped up for 20 bucks. They didn't do that for two, man. <laughs> Oh, uh, Phil, that's that's some incredible patience right there. I, you know, it almost sounds like enough patience to play Shenmue. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, he did not. <laughs> Just think, you play one hour a day and you'll get almost accomplished something by the end of the week. Ooh, I think one hour is enough time to get it a, a full lap in with the uh, forklift. <laughs> that's only on the third disc, though. You have to get that far. Oh, that is too funny. Yeah. I, I Yeah, you're right. With Mass Effect 2, I didn't get the DLC, but the, you didn't get the DLC with it. But they, they had like a Steam sale. I can't remember if the DLC was on sale at the time, but I remember I only bought a couple because I had read the reviews on the DLC and cherry-picked the good ones. Um, so I still ended up paying probably less than 30 bucks total. Um, because the game was only like 15 or 20 bucks plus a couple of DLCs, and like I said, I can't remember if they were half off or something. Um, so still less than a 60 plus $10, you know, heaven forbid you bought all four of them. Um, I don't know. I just, ever since I bought, I, I, yeah, I've told these stories before, but ever since I bought like Civilization 4 and I bought like all of the DLC as it came out, and then like the next day after I had bought that last DLC, I saw the Game of the Year edition, which had all the DLC included for 20 bucks. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm not, um, I just spent like 90 more bucks than these people did who just bought this. No, I'm waiting from now on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that in between the fact I wanted to make sure the whole trilogy would come out because I've been stuck on trilogies before. 
and they didn't bring out the last one. <laughs> like e- like Shim <laughs> No, I didn't wait for that one. No. It all comes back to shit. <laughs> it all comes back. You can't get away. Mr. Meek, is there anything you would like to share? Anything you're working on that the audience needs <clears throat> to hear about? Well, let's see. Since we last did one of these, I put up three reviews on the site. One for Devil Survivor 2, which I became considerably less enamored with as I reached the end game and discovered that the gauntlet of... I'm sorry, gantlet of bosses I was expected to face just kept getting nastier. And if I read the GameFAQs forums right, then I managed to find the single nastiest one of them, which has infinite range and likes to use it. And this comes after two phases that I managed to beat without too much trouble, but of course you don't get anything refilled in between those phases, and then it just destroyed me, and I hate you, Polaris. I really really hate you. (laughs) And I'm never playing that again. No. Not doing it. Um, I also reviewed Soccer Wars So Long My Love. In short, it's very good. It reminds me of why I enjoyed all the other games in the series at length. We'll talk about it uh, not too far in the future from now. Yeah, April. Yep. You want to be there, Scott? Um, I only played the fifth one, but I can show up and do that, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know almost no one else has played the first four except for me, so I'll be talking a lot there. All right. Um, and then just today I put up a review for Prodigy of the North Akatori, which is an RPG maker game, and it's, well, for the eight or so hours I played it, it had some fun moments, and the finale points towards the story taking interesting turns, which would be welcome because it kind of dropped off for a while there as I was exploring these fairly monotonous RPG maker caves and towers that looked the same. And in particular, one stupid, stupid dungeon that I could barely see because it's an almost indistinguishable little dungeon entrance in the middle of a whole bunch of mountains that I had to wander all over the freaking map and eventually just try everything before I finally found. So that left a bitter aftertaste. Um, I It is only eight hours, so if you really want to try the thing, why not? Go for it. See what you think. Um, and right now I am playing the DS, the second DS Fire Emblem, the one we did not get in English. It mm. seems vaguely familiar to me, because I played this same story in Japanese also, back on the Super Famicom. But it's been supplemented quite a bit. And when I, whenever I review it, which won't take too long, I'm, I think, in the last quarter of the game now. I'll go more into depth on that thing. And there are a couple movies I've seen that I'm going to talk about, not just the ones I've seen, because that would take a while, as we all know from a couple of weeks ago. Phil, I know you're looking, you've been looking forward to the riff of Breaking Dawn Part 1, and it's here! Go get it, right now! <laughs> because Breaking Bad and Breaking Wind were not available. <sighs> See, I would need to actually have access to Breaking Dawn to be able to enjoy the riff. And, no, uh, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. You I... buy the riff, <laughs> what? and you sink, and you you sink it using other means. <laughs> and I refuse to spend money on Breaking Wind or Dawn or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Oh, my gosh. Like the makers of that series need your money. They're drowning in uh, it. I know, right? Holy cow. Wow. Okay. So... It, if you know your riffs, you know that this is a good time. And it is. <laughs> this is true. Oh, boy. Um, 
the two movies that I've met, that I've seen, which are somewhat of a more serious nature, are the 1979 version of Salem's Lot, which technically was a TV movie, but I read that book when I was 12, and I don't remember much except that it freaked me the hell out. Again, I was 12, and uh, I remember having a very, very sleepless night, not wanting to look out the window because I was convinced that vampires would be out there just waiting for me to stare into their eyes and open the door. Hmm. The movie does not really do justice to that. James Mason is fine as the caretaker of the vampires, and the movie was shot in Ferndale, which is a town nearby, and I have been there. And you might also recognize the locale from uh, The Majestic, if any of you saw that. But... Oh, my. It's three hours, and you could have trimmed half of that easily. It just moves at a snail's pace. And it stars one of the guys from the 70s version of Starsky and Hutch. And it's got a whole bunch of other familiar faces you'll recognize, but it just moves so slowly. And the vampire looks like Nosferatu instead of having a personality. I also watched Tor Tor Tora, which is a superb film i recommend anyone who has any interest whatsoever in the events that led up to pearl harbor and the attack watch it it cost 25 million dollars back in 1970 phil you have to know what the inflation rate is between then and now (laughs) a lot (laughs) 25 million in 1970 will buy you a hell of a lot more now and you can tell where it went because about the last 45 minutes is dedicated solely to the attack on pearl harbor and it just looks great. You see all all these real planes, these real ships. Yeah, you can see a couple of little uh, background images that don't quite look right. But th- real things are blowing up. Real World War II planes are blowing up. And you just you know exactly how it got there because this does not embellish anything. It uses exactly the facts of 1941 as they were. And it ends with Yamamoto's phrase... I fear that all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve and remind you of a time when Japan was not a country that anyone in the West admitted having any positive feelings towards after thousands of U.S. sailors were killed there. Those times have changed, but uh, if you ask my grandparents, they would certainly remember it. There, I, I could go on, but I'm done for now. <laughs> Well, well, I think the inflation rate of the currency between the time period you mentioned is about the same inflation rate uh, in all of the women's chest sizes in uh, Shimigami Tensei uh, uh, <laughs> Devil Survivor series. Holy cow, have you seen these people, Mike? They're unreal. Yes, these, I have. These... What did I just play? I just played Devil Survivor yeah. 2 where women could easily put TV trays onto their chests. I how do they stand wow. up in a straight line without falling over? I mean, the center of gravity is like three feet in front of her. So, Phil, what you're saying is the possible 3DS remake of it should be called Devil Survivor 2 Busty Edition? <laughs> I just, you know, it's a shame that they didn't, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what, what would happen here. I, you know, the thing is, that I'm playing the overclocked version, which, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, three, the, the, you know, an RPG for my 3DS, I can't wait to see the 3D visuals pop out at me, and there's no 3D visuals outside of, like, the intro screen, and now I know why, because if they did her in 3D, it poked my eye out. I mean, he would probably. Weird. Most of the time, Mr. Shimagami Tensei women are pretty. Yeah, not in this series. They're making up for lost time here. 
I mean, it, it, the Devil Survivor games are done by a different artist, and boy, can you tell! Holy yeah. cow, she spun around too fast. Oh, she oh, killed. There them. is one thing I forgot to mention, which is that I just got a 3DS today, mostly because my DS Lite, its right hinge is completely broken. The left hinge is where all the wires go, so it still works. But if I'm at all careless with it, then the top screen tries to fall off, and that's really not the best method of playing a game. Hmm. I don't know anything about the 3DS yet, except that it needed me to charge it upon purchase, so I'll figure out what I'm doing with it soon enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's see here. I mentioned before I was doing some Strange Journey. I followed uh, the advice of Adrian's review, and knowing the, uh, coupled with the fact that I know that Nisa games tend to uh, keep or go up in uh, price, I went ahead and bought uh, brand new Hyper Dimension Neptuna MK2 Mark II, and uh, been playing that one. And you got to be careful when the missus walking by, given some of the jokes that they do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, <laughs> just wait. Are you playing a game with 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 Sailor Moon wannabes? <laughs> I'm like, well, but Adrian gave it a three point five. I gotta check it out. <laughs> um, no, Adrian gives a lot of things three point. Does he give a lot of things three point? Okay, he didn't give the first one a three point five. This that is this true. is true. <laughs> and he didn't give Tales of the World Radiant Mythology a three point five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So okay. yeah, it just seems that Adrian has two settings. It's terrible or three point five. Three point five. Okay. <laughs> well, now wait a minute. Didn't he get dot hack games like a five or something? No, just kidding. Uh, let's. I think even the later ones, and then he tried to get through the first series, and they were just oh, so not the first. One. Yeah, that he stopped. The first one was pretty bad. The first series was pretty bad. The G- GU games. You have to look those up. Um, but so far, um, yeah, it's definitely an off-on-wall, the kind of stuff I kind of expect from Nisa. Uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really weird. Um, <laughs> I just, I just can't trust an Idea Factory game. Yeah, it's, it's, hmm, well, the, the story is out there in left field. Having, I mean, you can read Adrian's review because he would probably do a better job explaining that I could try. It's, it's kind of, like, I'll read this one line because it, it's, it's, it's a half allegory, half parody fantasy, uh, set in a world of, uh, game industry where console patron units rule over their respective nations, vying for shares of a population's faith. And an insidious group known as ASIC has been busy spreading stolen goods. So you see these kind of jokes in there about uh, people stealing games and the such. And what's really funny is one of my friends who's playing this game wrote to me and said, I'm not playing this game anymore. It's, ins- it's insulting me. And I'm like, wait a minute. But it's basically just insulting people who pirate. <laughs> Do you, are you pirating <laughs> games on the side? You never told me you were. So yeah, if you're if you're a big pirating game fan, you might you might. But it's it's all tongue in cheek and, and and whatnot. So, uh, but as people turn to the dark side of ASIC, who who represents pirated games and stolen goods, um, and they're trying to resurrect some evil deity or something along those lines. Uh, you're trying to get people to put their faith back in. Uh, the game systems and the such. So, 
Um, it, it's kind of weird. It's out there in left field, and sometimes it makes me chuckle a little bit. Um, uh, the the characters are really Japanesey, over the top, squeaky type of deals that kind of get on my nerves sometimes. But I only play it in short spurts. It's a it's a it's an easy game for me to play when I'm tired and I just want to fart <laughs> around for half an hour. Or so before bed, you know, I'll pop that in. The battles um, are pretty straightforward affairs. The, you do move around freely on a battlefield. Um, and if you stay clumped too much together, you might get hit. <laughs> you know, several people might get hit at once. Um, but at the same time, you can sometimes hit more than one monster at the same time when they're all clumped together. So positioning's a little important, not too much. Um, uh, there's a little combo system in there. It's cute. It's lightweight. So uh, when you when when you've played Residents of Fate and it's burned out your brain cells, <laughs> <laughs> then you play this game to uh, take a break, and then you can go recharge and go back for more because uh, this one is doing nothing to strain my my brain at all. Um, so just been farting around with that. Mm, but uh, let's see. Aside from that, of course, still playing lots and lots of Pathfinder, so and enjoying carrying Crown and Jade Regent. Um, alrighty. So, let's see here. Um, I don't think I got any more audio updates, reviews. We did one at the end of last show. I stuck in there at the last minute, so hopefully if you listened to the last show, you got to hear a really cool, it's called the Backtrack Backtrack. Did you hear that, Mike? Did you listen to it? Mr. Not yet. I started listening to the whole show and got distracted by, uh, the sudden need to restart my computer. Ah, so you know, you know what happens if you if you thoughtlessly click accept updates on Windows and then you don't immediately restart. Ooh. It just keeps telling you. Yep. I hate that. So and annoying. then you go to bed and then it just does it for you. And I'm like, yeah. I kind of had something open there. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Windows. Well, Luptis, uh, Luptis did uh, a backtrack, backtrack on, speaking of the devil, Lunar. So if you want to hear some more uh, about uh, a Lunar, um, you can uh, go just go back to the last uh, backtrack show that we did and get, zip towards the end because I stuck it there right before the final song. So... Um, uh, so, but basically, he's he's listening to our previous shows, and whenever he's he's heard uh, a game that he's played before, he's listening, I guess, from episode one or something. But when he's here a show, uh, he's going to do a backtrack, yeah, backtrack. Yeah, let it. me think here. That that would be Super Mario RPG back when Max Storm first started the thing. Hmm. Um. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Huh. Anywho, let's take a look at this. So. Uh, but yeah, so you guys, if you want to leave your comments on our board, well, oh, yeah. I, I should mention before I forget that Yuzo Koshiro did contribute a few compositions to the Shenmue soundtrack, probably the good ones, the ones that I remember, because most of the music is kind of bland, but there are a few really good tracks in it. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Apps, you know who Yuzo Koshiro is, don't you? Uh, Remind me, the name definitely sounds familiar. Okay, recently he's done the Etrian Odyssey game soundtracks. Okay. Back in the day, he did Streets of Rage and Revenge of Shinobi, among others, on ActRaiser. Yeah, the the Etrian Odyssey games definitely have awesome soundtracks. I want to punch him for the Streets of Rage music. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's too damn catchy? Um, Mostly because it's... Like, I I think I'd like it more if if you played it on real instant. Instruments now, Boy, whatever MIDI chips it was put together on just drills right into my brain. 
I understand that he was being asked to DJ that music for a long time, probably even still today. But it, it's almost like you're saying the Genesis sound hardware was limited. I can't understand why you would say that. How could you say such hurtful things? Considering the Genesis sound hardware, I think he put it. I think he did some pretty good stuff. Oh, jeez. So <laughs> you, t- <laughs> you got me totally off track here. Um, so you two can write your very own, uh, or write your very own, record your very own uh, memories of your favorite games. Uh, talk to us uh, about your favorite uh, exciting adventures in RPGs, or uh, just rant about the pains of unbalanced RPGs older than Methuselah. You can do it all by calling our special number today. And recording your stuff. Uh, what's the phone number? Do we have a phone number? I have a phone number here. Some. Where did it go? Where's my phone number? Uh oh, no phone number. I don't know. It's not my oh, phone here number. it is. The phone number is eight zero one eight one zero fifty five ninety seven. We should make a little jingle. Call today eight zero one. Go to the tune of eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny. Eight six yeah. seven five three zero nine. Sign up for our forums. Whose whose handle is eight six seven five three zero nine? Eight one zero five five nine seven. Somebody really liked that one song Tommy Two Tone did. Either that or it's a really catchy set of numbers. The, I don't know. Problem... Maybe this person's name is Jenny, and they're being clever. Yeah. The problem is. We have 10-digit dialing in Utah, so you have to dial all 10 digits, so it kind of drags on. 801-810-5597. It doesn't quite have the same jingle. Yeah. I dialed it. I dialed it. Did my review on backtrack. I dialed it. Dialed it. Hate mail at jcservant7 yeah, they probably should spell something, but it doesn't. No, it doesn't. There's too many ones and zeros. Too many ones and zeros. <laughs> it, it, it actually spells out the um, the exclamation marks and ampersands that Cubert uh, does when he gets hit. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, uh, so 801-810-5597, and uh, you two can uh, leave your very own RPG backtrack uh, story, immortalize your story with your favorite uh, RPG from the way back when, and thousands and thousands of listeners throughout the course of history will be able to hear about it so check that out uh or you can also leave your comments at board.rpgamer.com leave your uh leave our five star reviews that you know you want to do for us on um, itunes over at um i don't know where that's at on itunes look it up um rpg backtrack <laughs> or something uh we're also on facebook.com for slash rpgamer and twitter.com slash rpgamer so you can go there tweet us and facebook us and thumbs up us and everything else um, RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards, as I mentioned before. Email me. It's jcservant at rpgamer.com. Send questions, help shape our future shows, or PayPal me there and just send me free money. I don't really care. Actually, I prefer the money. Um, on behalf of Mr. Minky, Mr. Apps, and Mr. Walkmanter. We thank you for listening. I thank you guys for being on here. I thank all of you for listening. As always, you're the reason that we do this. Mr. Mike, put the show to bed. I know Shenmue has a lot of fans, and I wanted to come close to liking it. And truth be told, in its best moments, it's memorable. 
The problem is that those moments are separated by so much filler that you remember why stories are not generally planned in 16 part arcs. Usually it's wiser to condense, to make it shorter and tighter and less filled with wandering around aimlessly talking to everyone with the same question until someone finally gives you an answer because that's just not all that interesting. <laughs>